Focus. My name's Quaid, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick. How are you doing today, man? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, just got in another new apartment situation. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> this one's a lot better, though. Good. Yeah. Um, so it's been a while since we have done an episode, and we have a few that we want to do, but we decided that we'd start with a new Batman film called The Batman. Uh, came out pretty recently. Uh, and you were able to stream it uh, on HBO. It's mm-hmm. one of those, uh, you know, it's very really interesting what HBO Warner Brothers is doing, releasing a film, and then within the same week, uh, people can just stream it immediately uh, on HBO. And it doesn't seem to be hurting them uh, that much, you know. I wonder, mm-hmm. I wonder if something like Dune or Batman would have done even better than they did. Uh, Maybe. If you weren't able to stream them. At the same time as them being in theaters, but uh, I can't imagine it nice. doesn't hurt the kind of like word of mouth second wave, you know, mm-hmm. um, because you know when someone tells you to watch something, you're just gonna go to the easiest place to watch it. Yeah, uh, usually, you know, unless, unless you really love the theater. That's true, but I guess the uh, only organization that be would be suffering would be the theater because if they watch right. it on HBO, that's still good for Warner brothers. So, right. Yeah, that's true. Well, uh, why don't you kick us off? What do you think about the, the Batman? Um, I mean, I, I loved it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like the, uh, more detective take, you know, the, the kind of felt a little like film noir with the, uh, them using the, uh, diary entries as a sort of, a kind of like inner monologue yeah the voiceover Mm -hmm. um which like you know it's obviously a famous uh noir trope um Mm. but it it was cool the way they did it because it didn't you know it didn't uh it wasn't immediately like oh yeah they're trying to do film noir you know like coming in from the perspective of uh knowing that this is a diary entry uh I, i felt like kept it more in the realm of a superhero movie yeah. Um, you know, it, it was good. Um, yeah, I, uh, really liked that. Uh, you know, DC stands for detective comics, right. And that's kind of what Batman's character, one of the ways he's been referred to in that universe is, you know, the world's best detective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, out of all the Batman movies so far, this one, I think actually captures, um, the world of Batman that's portrayed in the comics that people actually really like, you know, like right. even take the city, you know, you're talking about film, the war, uh, the city is always a huge character. You take Gotham, you look at it in Nolan's trilogy, other than in Batman begins, there's not really a portrayal, um, of Gotham as we see it in the comics, which is sort of like the city that's, I don't know, steeped in perpetual twilight. You know, it's grimy, it's disgusting. There's this little, enclaves of the upper class that are really nice and futuristic but other than that it's just trash you know it's you Mm -hmm. know uh, new york city in the 1970s you know it's um and you just don't see that you don't see that in the george clooney ones um you don't see that in uh nolan's um so the world they created was far more in line uh with sort of like the classic portrayal of batman and on the same line of thinking, uh, the character of Batman, I feel like even though, um, Frick, what's his name again? Our guy here. 
yeah, Robert Pattinson is not uh, probably so far back to that's been cast that least actually looks like Bruce Wayne in terms of the portrayals in the comics. Mm-hmm. I feel like his uh, performance is most like what you see in the comics, which is like this ultra brooding, you know, kind of very antisocial um, type person. Right. As opposed to uh, what we get with Christian Bale or we have gotten with other people like George Clooney and so on. Yeah. Um, so I really liked that watching this and I was hoping cause I, when I seen the trailers, I was kind of picking up on it. I was hoping that it ended up being exactly what it was, which is so far it was kind of one of the most faithful adaptations. Um, yeah. I thought, I, really I thought, uh, Pattinson's lower jaw definitely looks a lot like Batman though in the mask. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, he, yeah, with the mask on, he looks like Batman for sure, but yeah. he doesn't look like Bruce Wayne. So. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think the long hair might be a little uh, uh, off in terms of like, which is funny because it's a choice because he usually has short hair, right? Yeah. Um. So interesting. But um, I also was a huge fan of the Paul Dano casting for Riddler. Yeah. Um, I thought he was the perfect choice. And honestly, like just the especially the scene kind of towards the end with um Paul Dan. Actually, you know what? Um before before we go on, uh just spoiler uh warning. yeah, spoiler warning, you know. Um it's kind of the way that we do this here is that uh we you go watch the movie, then you come back and we talk about it. But uh yeah, spoilers uh <laughs> ahead. Um but Paul Dano kind of at the end after he, uh, after the Riddler gets arrested. Um, I thought he did really, really good in that, um, in that scene where he tries to kind of like, uh, align himself with Batman and he, he has this, uh, image of how it's going to go. And yeah, you know, um, it's not how it's supposed to go. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He does great. When I think about Paul Dano, um, I guess I never really realized it until watching this film, but, Every performance of his that I love, he's playing some really fucked up person. Uh, you think about <laughs> There Will Be Blood or Prisoners, yeah. you know? Right, he's right. great at these kind of roles. Even though I, when I think about him, I end up always thinking about these like smaller, more comedic indie movies. Right, um, right. These are actually his great roles. These sort of really psychologically fucked up people. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I think so too. And I, I think There Will Be Blood and Prisoners are his best other roles. I, I would put this up there too. I think he did a great job. Um, unfortunately, I don't think the movie's quite as good as um, the other two we mentioned there. No, it's um, not, sadly. Yeah. Um, which we kind of talked about briefly. Uh, we thought it could have been. Um, it had the chance to be... Um, that good and had the chance to be a masterpiece of our generation. Um, and sadly it seems like they kind of pulled back a little bit and, um, you know, went for something that was a little bit more, uh, agreeable to the mainstream instead of something that's, you know, very, very fringe as you mentioned it, uh, it should be. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and go ahead like the i feel like this film nailed the aesthetic of dc comics uh it looks exactly how it should mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean i mean do you want do you want to kind of get into um yeah the we can get into the meat of it 
Yeah, because I think the insight at the end is pretty clear, and it's that like he needs to become more than you know just vengeance, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, he he needs to become like this hero, and uh, you know him being shown in the light for the first time in the film, you know, yeah. uh, kind of like helping these civilians out of the water. Uh, yeah, he he changed batman from being this like just a vigilante into a hero right um, yeah and yeah because yeah if you look at the very beginning he's essentially uh talking about controlling the populace through fear you know he's right <laughs> it's this very dark edgy take he's just beating the shit out of people at night and everyone's very afraid right uh-huh. and at the very end as you've described it's this switcheroo where he no longer is going to be the symbol of oppressive fear, you know, keeping ruthless order in his city. It's now going to be coming a symbol of a hero, this sort of birth of a superhero, a more mainstream superhero. Mm. Um, and this is also contrasted, which we should point out with, as he's fighting Riddler's goons in the final fight, right? Mm-hmm. When they demask one of them uh, and they ask, who are you? Uh th- you know, the goon goes, I'm vengeance, right? And this is the big moment. Right. This is the big moment, the oh shit moment of, oh no, how I'm not that different from these people. What are, you know, and uh, this is probably my core issue. And this mm-hmm. is where they should have remained a little edgy, um, but they had a compromise. And right. me and Nick uh, each have a slightly different take and agree with each other's takes as well on why this might have been. Do you want to go with yours first or? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, my, my main um, issue with the film comes with um, everything post Riddler getting arrested. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's that scene with both of them in the, um, in, in the, in jail together, like, you know, he's, he's talking to him, he's visiting him. And I, I had hoped that was actually the end of, riddler's plan right like he he was essentially like getting revenge um on the people responsible for um for turning the city into what it became right yeah and um i thought it was really interesting that bruce wayne was one of his targets right and um um how he would like i i thought he was going to ask batman to kill bruce wayne for him Hmm. right and I thought there was going to be this moment where he he has to reckon with the fact that him and Riddler are um, are, are essentially two sides of the same coin, right? Yeah. And I, I thought the film was going to become about the inevitability of escalation as um, as these things come to a head. And I'm not sure how I would have ended it. Um, you know, but maybe, maybe the ending, doing something where you know, you know how at the end of the Dark Knight, everyone kind of turns on Batman. Yeah. Um, I was hoping that like it, it would have been something more like that, and you know, we would have had something a little bit more introspective and um, Batman focused um, in terms of where this film ended, um, instead of it being a big a big plot at the end. And like, you know, we have the streets flooding and the car, like the big set pieces and, mm. you know, all that kind of stuff. Like I, I really wanted it to end on a very psychological note. 
Um, yeah, and that's interesting as well. You even bringing up the ending of the Dark Knight because it's like it's almost um, the opposite of this film. And the right. Dark Knight, he willingly becomes the villain because that's what's needed. You know, he right. could, you know, give a shit about appearing as a hero. He'll, you know, willing to self-sacrifice in order for the greater good. Mm-hmm. But in this one, it's kind of the opposite is kind of uh, argued for here. And, you know, it's more more deep than that because he's got to deal with the fact that he was an inspiration uh, mm-hmm. to Riddler and his crew to do these atrocious things in this film. Right. Uh, but he, in this one, has actually got to become the White Knight in a sense. And right. that's really my major issue. My major issue, and I know I'm on my soapbox here, and anyone who's listened to a handful of episodes uh, will have heard this, but it's the moral center. The moral center of this film is uh, it's compromised. Um, You see this a lot in any movie that's mainstream, that has mainstream potential or appeal. When they do something edgy, they always have to compromise. So, for example... Uh, I think of a classic movie like Dirty Harry. I think mm-hmm. of something like uh, more mainstream would be like Thanos. Right. Um, so Dirty Harry, we love Dirty Harry. This is the cleanest sort of movie where he's a detective. He goes around and essentially just gets in gunfights with criminals and kills them, right? But there's a mm-hmm. Dirty Harry where who he's investigating is actually a group of cops that just go around killing people that are criminals, Right. And so you end up with this juxtaposition where he has to fight a more extreme version of himself because we can't have too edgy of a hero. And if they are edgy, <laughs> then we have to have them fight somebody who's more edgy than them to justify and, them. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And you look at the, I think, more superhero stuff. Um, look at the Punisher TV series that Netflix did mm-hmm. uh, in both of them. He's fighting essentially more extreme versions of himself, um, especially the second season. And you look at something like Thanos, a different way you might compromise in the moral center, right? Because Infinity yeah, it's War the opposite, was, right? Yeah, because Infinity War was uh, all essentially about Thanos. He was the main character of that film. They gave him the classic, you know, mythical arc, uh, the hero's mythical arc journey. It's like they and, pull him away uh, from being the villain, and then they have yeah. to like vilify him again. Yeah, and in the second movie, they threw it all away out of nowhere. He's going to uh, just destroy all life, even though the entire point was to help half of life that did exist. It doesn't make any sense with everything that he said or did. It seems. uh, Well, even if they were trying to like paint him as a like a liar and a narcissist, right? Like none of that showed up in Infinity War, right? None of his hypocrisy showed up in Infinity War. And I'm, I'm just like. You know, in fact, he he had no hypocrisy at all. You know, well, like, and, yeah, like he had to like prove himself to a soul stone, yeah. right? That could like see see his soul, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so, so that's and, part of the issue is whenever you have uh, a character like that, that by mainstream moral standards is a little too edgy. You know, like a Batman who is going or, around, or a bad guy that's a little too good. Like, yeah, Hollywood yeah. just has to like, you know say oh yeah no this bad guy is going to destroy everything now so it's okay to kill him yeah or or they have to come in and to batman and say like well i mean look the riddler is way worse than yeah. batman so you know what batman's yeah. doing is okay in comparison yeah and, but you know batman may use fear he may be a psychological weapon and he may take 
you know, justice into his own hands, vigilante style, and use violence, brutal violence. But um, he doesn't kill people. Yeah, he doesn't <laughs> kill people. And these people, you know, he's got somehow he's got this better internal moral compass uh, where Riddler doing the exact same thing is just a more worse version, you know? Um, right, which like I mean, we we can agree that that's true in the film, but I think what you're arguing for is that they that they should have uh, they should have pushed for uh, being more morally courageous in in the story that they were telling and not not worrying about. Um, yeah, well, the, my my main issue is that it's just the compromise on the moral center where they, sure. in a sense, are admitting the own uh, their own. The only way to justify what their characters are doing is by fighting against their worst version of it, right? Which right. is what I, I uh, this leaves a bad taste in my mouth because they're never, you know, they're never well, allowing it's, it's them like just to be who they are. It's like not self-aware hypocrisy. Yeah. Right. And I, I think that's kind of what I was hoping for with this Batman is that like, I, I love how in Nolan's Batman, um, Batman is a hypocrite and he's proven to be a hypocrite by Joker. Yeah. Right. And he just let him be a hypocrite. Right. Because he understood that, like, the morality behind behind Batman. Um, yeah. Is He's not fighting. Right? And that's <laughs> the thing. Right. The Joker isn't a hypocrite. He's not fighting against a worst hypocrisy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, so you they allow for a moral fault to exist in Batman without having to. Um, uh, go against the same thing, just worse in proportion. Um, right. Um, uh, yeah. Not to say this film is bad. I mean, like, I think, I think, you know, we, we've been harking on it a little bit, but it's what we're getting at is that it, it almost had the makings of a masterpiece. And I think your fix for it, if I'm reading you right, would be that um, the Riddler should have had different motivations, shouldn't have been, um, shouldn't have been the worst vigilante right that yeah they could have they could have messed around with the villain in that sense or the insight at the end the insight does not need to be batman realizing that he's evil or something you know and right. changing uh it could have you know they could have had the same film but without that compromise at the end it would have been so much better for me um okay. yeah I, I think mine came at the uh, at the um, at the moment after the Riddler jail scene when he when he explains his big big uh, monstrous plan. Um, right. And it, it took him from being this uh, this kind of reflection of who Batman is, and took the movie away from being kind of like this identity crisis for Batman and having to reconcile with the inevitability of what um, what he creates in this city. Um, and it turned it into just your your average Hollywood blockbuster, and I, th I think I think that kind of um, yearning for spectacle um, comes from like uh, the excess that Hollywood has access to, you know, and yeah. how so so many of these films just become about who can pull off the crazier stunt or the crazier set piece, and we forget to tell a story, you know. And that's kind of how I felt the movie kind of derailed close to the end was just that like 
I felt like they had been building up towards something and it it was there, right? Like there, there was the moment when he pulled off the guy's mask and he said, you know, I'm vengeance, right? Yeah. So like what, I, what I'm talking about was there, but it wasn't even close to a centerpiece of the end. And it was like you said, more about him realizing that he was the bad guy and having to change. Yeah. And then there's um, this, there's, yeah, you're completely right because the entire film up until that point is, kind of you know it's kind of low on the ground what do you really have you have one car chase scene and that's really the major spectacle of the entire movie at that point right you know a lot of people talking a lot of a couple of fist fights just investigations and it feels like you're right it feels like it's building to more psychological or emotional impact in the audience that's going to be uh not what you get from a typical superhero film which is going to have that last 30 minutes of an action sequence right um but then it just goes right into the action sequence, you know? So I get it. Right. Yeah. I agree with you. It was kind of looking in that in retrospect, that is kind of disappointing. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, we, we moved away from film noir. Uh, we moved away from the detective side and we moved into um, like, I'd say the ending was almost as campy as the George Clooney Batman's. Sure. You know? um, but um and it's, I mean, it's just disappointing because it was so fucking good and they were doing so many things right mm-hmm. not just for filmmaking in general but like batman specifically um and then to have this really generic mainstream sort of last sequence of events ending um that compromises on what they just did and kind of flies in the face of everything great they did it's just really disappointing. I mean, I right. think of, um, if you think about the character of Batman, I mean, look at Zack Snyder's Batman in Batman versus Superman, right? Mm-hmm. This is a Batman that's so enraged. He's going around and he's branding criminals. Can you imagine that? He's branding <laughs> criminals. You remember that? He's like yeah, burning yeah. them with his symbol. He's so enraged. This is Batman, right? And mm-hmm. so far, I mean, that's a pretty good portrayal. But when you see him later on, you know, when you see him in the Justice League movie or you see him later on in Batman v Superman, uh, they don't keep that sort of darkness, that sort of brooding aspect that is so prevalent here. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I talk about the moral center, part of what I mean is I think about the greater good or the heroic or something. And part of the way I try to think about this and understand what it is mm-hmm. is through history, right? Right, right. And I see like great moral people in history that did things that are like universally lauded by today's standards. And they did some really fucked up shit in service of the things they're lauded for. Right. Um, We've talked about like how Winston Churchill like destroyed the French Navy so it didn't Mm -hmm. fall in the hands of Germany, you know? Sure, yeah. We've talked that there's other things like this. Uh, But that's like in and of itself, there's no way to look at that other than kind of like an evil act. But it's the. It's the scale. It's the history of things um, that vindicates him because so, he's so doing you're saying something for a greater deed. You're, you're right? saying that like the movie could have been a lot better if um, if Batman essentially had to reconcile with the fact that he is doing evil things. Uh, yeah, in service of the well, greater good. Um, well, exactly. As opposed to just him at the very end going, "Oh, I was doing things wrong. I can't. Yeah. I can't use fear for the greater good." You know, that's bad. That's not well, being a and hero. See, like, you know, and if, if we really did want to 
serve uh, the insight that, you know, Matt Reeves uh, and company did want to uh, did want to portray. Right. Like if, if you really did want to show um, Batman as not having uh, uh, essentially not being in the right and needing to change, I think um, it would have been better serviced not by a large set piece um but more so just using what they already had like the riddler uh the riddler could have named batman or bruce wayne sorry um as one of his hits essentially because he had forsaken his father's fund which allowed for um all this like uh corruption corruption and stuff to to thrive essentially and and like the damage that he did to that city by not taking control of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which um, I, I know in the in the movie he didn't really have access to it, um, but they they could have changed that small detail, right? Yeah, and said that instead of being someone who used these resources to help Gotham, he 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 put on his mask and started to fight crime, which like you know, yeah. Um, because that was kind of one of the things I was being worked towards is in that meeting that we keep talking about. And he keeps going, Bruce Wayne, Bruce right. Wayne. And uh, you, the audience, think, oh, he knows. He knows right, who right. Batman is. And then there's that switcheroo. And he doesn't right. know. So what you're saying, yeah, is he would know. And in that moment, he would, you know, give a moral indictment of Batman. Right. Well, I mean, he, he could even not know. Right. And he could he could like in his confusion, ask Batman to kill Bruce Wayne. Right. Yeah. Um, Which would like imagine imagine that knowing that you birthed this like serial killer. Right. Yeah. And him asking you to kill yourself, essentially. Um, um, But also knowing that like he he is he is you essentially um without restraint you know and maybe he needs to rest he could have had to reconcile with the fact that um that riddler did more for the city in the short time that he was active than batman had in two years um by by operating at this more extreme level and, and his his final request is for batman to kill himself essentially even though that's not what he knew what the uh, request was you know Hmm. Um, like that kind of thing um would have been interesting because um then it would have been showing more so that like you know batman was doing the wrong things to save the city and that he it, it would have been more about how he maybe lacked the conviction to go further and they could have made uh the the morality behind the movie um revolve around the fact that he he put his own morality above the good of the city yeah you know and um, i mean there's so many ways to yeah, do it right like, you could yeah. have you could have uh, had this done following the lines of what you're saying you could have almost had a movie where um all these clues and everything that the riddler is leaving because from the very beginning you have batman in confrontation with the riddler right right what if, you know, there's almost like they're almost kind of working together 
throughout the entire movie until the end, until there's something that brings them against each other. You know, what if these clues and breadcrumbs are something that he's giving Batman and Batman's working with him until the final moment, you know, where he's he's asked to do something more extreme. The Riddler could figure out that Bruce Wayne is Batman and he could. Yeah. And the final moment could be literally kill yourself. Right. And then there's that moment of confrontation. (laughs) There's so many ways to do it. Right. Because essentially one of the things, at least I'm getting at here that's wrong is not so much with what they did with Batman, even though that's what I'm saying. It's how they Mm -hmm. treated Riddler. That's the issue. (laughs) It's the fact that you have to have a more extreme version of the same person and they have to fight against that. Um, You could keep that or you can get rid of that. The easier answer is just then, you know, embrace Batman and let him be him and not have to fight against a more extreme version of himself. But that's the issue. Like it's, it's more the, the issue is more in the way that they're handling um, the villain and how that's going to change the hero. So that would be in this case, you know, obviously Batman going, Oh, I can't be fear. I can't be vengeance. I have to be a hero. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's the obvious way. Uh, to handle it. The easy way would be to simply change uh, aspects of the Riddler and what he represents in the film. Now we're, we really like it's so well done, right? We don't want the Riddler to be completely different than what he is. So we're talking about ways that you could do a very similar film about very similar ideas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But that's Um, the crux of what we're getting at here is he's a more extreme version of what Batman is. And we don't like the moral compromise they made. So how could we how could we fix that? Right. There's a lot of interesting ways you could do that. I think it'd be fucking a great film. The same film, essentially. But there's kind of working in concert. You know, Riddler's kind of leading Batman around. Well, because they almost great they, they are sort of right. Like Batman yeah. doesn't well, really understand so. that he is. Um, yeah. But they, they are working in concert through, throughout the whole film. Right. Yeah. Um, Batman just by following the Riddler's riddles is and like I, I love how they did that and it, and it actually kind of uh, blew me away a little bit with uh, what Riddler's plan was and how he got Batman to do the things that he was doing um, yeah and you know like the fact that all of it came down to how uh, what's his name Falcone never never comes out of his like penthouse you know mm. so he basically lined up this whole like thing to get batman to go in there and pull falcone out into the light you know and he had he'd just been waiting there on the street corner for months and months and months with this plan in mind you know yeah um and i I he certainly thinks that batman is working with him you know that's very much revealed right as we know from the very beginning that batman has conflict about this he doesn't like what's happening well the thing is right what what motivation what moral motivation do they give batman to dislike the riddler and so there at the very beginning he sees a young boy that just had his father murdered that's the motivation right and that's a good thing actually that's something that can be used in the way you know we're describing ways in which this film could be different that's exactly how you could give batman an actual moral grounding for his greater good right um but in a, in a sense it's almost used a little cheaply here um well, well and where, I, I like think this, this is one reason why he doesn't like you know the fact that some guy's taking the trash right, out. With, where what you're so. saying is that this this could end up becoming the moral center of the of the movie is this small moment at the beginning mm. be, beginning of the film like if if they had instead of going for the spectacle gone for the the uh 
Um, and actually something that we talked about before was that like, you know, th- this grittier kind of like a darker version of Batman is great. Um, but I feel like we both felt kind of like Matt Reeves lacks the philosophical mind that uh, Nolan came at Batman with. Yeah. Um, which. Uh, um, Imagine to- the climax being that that exactly what you're saying, essentially, where now they're working together, essentially. And mm-hmm. of course, you'd have to compromise on certain things like you couldn't be killing people. Batman's not going to be killing people. That's just not Batman. Or right? even even if they're not but, working together, if, if Riddler gets out and like the, the final interaction is Riddler needs to kill Bruce Wayne. Well, that's what I'm saying. And, yeah. Imagine that's yeah. the ending where they are they are working together and the whole film is about this struggle, this moral struggle within Batman about whether or not he should be doing this. And at the very end, they're together and it's time to kill bruce wayne it's time to you know riddler reveals it and rather than a giant set piece and action sequences as the cathartic ending it's simply you know batman unmasking himself (laughs) and that whole interaction and realization and then like bruce wayne you know taking on as opposed to batman uh, right right like like it could have been more of a uh more of a moment where you see kind of like the clashing of two um two extremes right and yeah. you could see at what exactly and not necessarily in a fight or anything yeah you know if, if they are going to fight it could it could even last like 10 seconds yeah it could right be at one the punch. end of all this right yeah um but having now, this wh- moment where riddler has to reconcile with who batman is and then batman's um essentially being called a hypocrite and like you know yeah. is uh um is forced to any of this would be so much more philosophically interesting right right right. and simply oh i can't be fear i can't be vengeance that's evil i gotta be hero you know it doesn't actually pull it's not congruent with who batman actually is and batman is a person as nolan knew that does fucked up shit for the greater good so you know and it's just they just shit on that. And that's the sad thing about this movie. It's so well done. They do so many things right. But they have to do the very... You'll see this a lot. You keep your eyes open. As soon as we have an edgy hero, as soon as we have someone who's willing to do things that we be typically considered evil for the greater good, they have to always be fighting against a more extreme version of themselves. And then at the end, they have to sort of give some Change. sort of repudiation yeah. of what they're actually doing, even though... They do good things. So it's just annoying. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, and I think, I think, I think this whole, um, personally, I think all, like the problem here isn't necessarily that, uh, Matt Reeves lacked the courage to follow through with this. Um, mm-hmm. but more likely that the producers, um, producers wanted them to make something a bit more uh you know like i i could see palatable. them being like oh yeah this isn't palatable for your general audience right and i i think the problem with like large scale movies these days um just anything that has more than a like 30 million dollar budget right yeah um these people are too afraid to lose and you have too big of a movie like targeted at too big of an audience you yeah. know and it, it it just becomes it it becomes a game of not losing, not a game of like making a great movie. Right? Yeah, that's a huge thing. I mean, I was just playing poker the other night, and we were all talking about that, which is you know you got to play to win. You can't play not to lose. If you play not to lose, you'll slowly lose. <laughs> right. right. So, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, and like 
in in uh, the the film world right now in in Hollywood, right? You have you have these these production companies that are putting so much on the line that like everything becomes about not losing. And as we've seen for the past five six years, they're just slowly losing, yeah. right? And I think I think that that poker analogy is great, right? Um, yeah, and and we've been talking about for a long time, um, kind of our hope of creating a kind of like blue collar film industry of, you know, so, something where you yeah. can go in, make a living, and make great films uh, that can rival these ones for a fraction of the cost. Yeah. You know, um, and we're hoping it it can become an, uh, and, and I think that like this film exactly is is a prime a prime example of of this right because i think this film could have made been made for probably a tenth of the price oh, that yeah. they made it for right and probably like, yeah seriously right and, and and if you think about like you know you lose half your audience like I, I don't know what this film made but i can i can imagine that if you were only spending a tenth of what you originally put towards it like it would be extremely profitable yeah <laughs> right even if you lost half your audience um but yeah i i think I, I think this movie is a prime example of one that would have gone from being this like really really great movie that it is now and turned it into just a masterpiece of our generation you know like it was it was so close to being one of the best movies ever. And and like, you know, we we have a policy that whenever we criticize something, we we offer up solutions. Um, you know, and we we want to we don't want to sit here tear this movie down and say like, "Hey, like, you know, you fucked up the moral center. That's it." Right? We want to we want to offer solutions for how how we would have maybe uh done it differently because Yeah. Um because you should whenever you criticize something, right? Um mm -hmm. but uh we're not saying that like, you know, we could have done this whole movie better. Like Matt Reeves, the, the, what he oh, yeah. set up. He's a God. He's yeah. Great. What he set up for the first 80% of this movie was absolutely brilliant. Like it was, it was blowing me away as it was happening. I was, um, <laughs> you know, I was so excited and it was, it was mm -hmm. really just kind of the very end of it that, uh, that yeah. deflated the experience a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. but I don't know. I don't know. I, th I think I think uh, the movie's good enough at the beginning to just carry through the end. Um, mm. Like the end to me didn't necessarily feel bad. You know, it didn't feel like it. it um, no, it's a good. It it's like movie. a very good movie. It's a movie yeah. I'll probably rewatch a lot. It's yeah. just sad, you know, because it, it's almost more sad than just watching like a bad a movie. movie that could have been yeah. very good or just a bad <laughs> right. movie. Because as you put it, like it has so much potential and then it just, it, it, you know, that last 10, 20% of the movie just kind of squanders it. Um, and, you know, we're even giving solutions here where the 80% of the movie would be love. We would, you know, we Completely were cheap. offering how you could even change that. But there's ways to do it where you could just keep the fucking 80% and still just from the, from the well, moment I mean, they're I mean, the meeting each other and talking where, like, each other. Instead of it being about Riddler's big, uh, big plan, it turned into just like, you know, Riddler's escape and focused on like his his fixation on Bruce Wayne. Yeah. You know, um, like that, that 
And, and the only thing that you would have to change about the 80% before would be that like Bruce Wayne uh, had access to the fund and denied his, his responsibility there. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and I mean, there's so many ways you could do it in the last 20%. I mean, there's even that nice little, um, you know, um, you know, uh, mirror they have with his father, how his father uh, potentially put a hit on a journalist, right? Once again, a guy right. who's trying to do something good that's doing something evil in the name of doing something good, right? right. Um, and yeah, there's so many ways in that last 20% where they could have just brought everything they'd done so far together to have a more uncompromising uncom ending. Right. Uh, Whereas the ending that they have almost feels like it has nothing to do with the rest of the, the film. Yeah. You know, like, like it, it felt like Riddler was the catalyst to showcase um, the situation that Batman and his father and uh, all the, all the crooks in the movie uh, had, had uh, boiled up. Right. Mm -hmm. um, like it felt like Riddler was more of a catalyst for those things, not not um, or catalyst for revealing those things, not necessarily like the centerpiece for the horrible act at the end. Yeah. Right. Um, and it, the, like the whole shift shift, the whole shift in focus going from from like uh, the Riddler essentially like being this uh being this very specific killer right this very like um targeted um person uh in terms of like who requires ve vengeance you know uh yeah. to be put upon them um to being this kind of like merciless merciless kind of like well everyone in the in the city's gonna die now that yeah i'm just me a gonna lot shoot up a stadium full of people right uh, it's just crazy right um one well, like more it's than that same thing people, right? where it's we're like even talking about with thanos walls and like flooding the whole city and yeah. yeah i mean it's exactly like what we were even talking about thanos i mean even their villain in here is morally compromised they didn't even let riddler be consistent in his moral center throughout the film even there in the last 20 percent they compromised him because right. he went from as you were saying very specific sense of what he's doing and right and wrong to just go, Oh yeah, let's just kill you know, everyone. Destroy yeah. the entire city. Right. <clears throat> um, and I think, I think it's okay the way it is because it's obvious that, you know, uh, that, uh, Riddler in this has a screw or two loose. Right. So like uh -huh. him not being consistent isn't as like bad. Yeah. He's deranged. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's fine. But, um, I think it would have been the more interesting choice to allow him to not be deranged and allow him to be this like uh, Unabomber esque genius, yeah. you know, um, that was just like an accountant for one of these uh, firms that was peddling money for uh, for these uh, criminals, and he was able to figure out everything from their books, right? Yeah, and like, like that's such an interesting bad guy. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, kind of, kind of, a, he's just born of nothing and he just, yeah. Yeah. He, to he bring just, it back to what you were even saying about Nolan, you look at like, cause we started this off, or at least I did by saying like, this guy has done Batman better than anyone has. I think that's right. indisputable, but Nolan is so good. And one of the things that we keep saying here is Nolan 
is a, you know a philosophical philosophical depth to him that no one else does because look at what we're saying here is like the characters just aren't consistent you know look right. at the villains in nolan's batman they are consistent they are philosophically consistent from beginning to end well and the, know, and the Ra's drama Ra's is raza gold the joker is the joker bane right. is bane and they represent things and they're not you know they they represent like forces of evil and philosophical thought that are particular Right. As opposed to just being deranged, you know. Right, right, and and I think I think it's more interesting to see that because the drama the drama comes from essentially what would be a philosophical dispute or argument, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. In in that, like these these two lines of thought cannot coexist, um, and we need to see how they interact. And I think I think that's a lot more interesting than you know having a deranged bad guy who. Yeah. got together with some people you have a deranged bad and, guy and yeah. a deranged hero that realizes he's deranged at the very end <laughs> right <know? laughs> uh, so right um yeah which which you know even even batman being deranged i feel like that that's almost a stretch and i, I think that like you have to essentially show elements of that beforehand for it to like like think think shutter island for example like it doesn't come out of the blue uh i'm not i don't want to spoil it, but the twist in that uh com- doesn't come out of the blue um yeah. you know it, it's 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 uh nodded to several times throughout the story beforehand so like i feel like the reason why batman like in this movie like if, if he was to realize he was deranged I, I you know that that just doesn't sit right with me because it had no uh precursor in the story yeah right it's just like once again it's just supposed to be so obvious right that's the issue that's what i hate like oh it's just so obvious what batman's doing is kind of wrong it's too far but it's not obvious you know right it's not obvious at all okay we like it we like it we root for him he's doing the right thing okay we salute batman well and even even if the goal is to get the audience on the side of seeing that he's wrong right like i think i think the way that you do that is with the fund right with with his response like with the idea that his responsibility should have been elsewhere right um like he he used his wealth to put on a bulletproof suit and beat up beat beat up bad guys he he basically like used his wealth to to treat the symptom of the evil that he was part of the cause of you know yeah like that that would have been a much better uh take in my example of proving the exact same thing that this movie did yeah you know um but yeah so so essentially like just to wrap up our long little arc here about the insight. Um, like Quaid doesn't really agree with the insight. You know, I'm, I don't really like, I'm not sure if I agree or not, you know, I couldn't say, but I know that like, if I wanted to remake this movie, even with the same insight that they had, like I would have definitely yeah. recommended that they change the last 30 minutes of the film. Yeah. You know, um, because there was there there's countless better ways to do it and i think i think when you look at um what the motivation seemed to be and this is why i believe that like the motivation uh was born of excess um is that it, it seems to be um a roller coaster right like they're they're coming in and they're saying that the the excitement has to rise here right yeah. that we need we need to get we need to get um this final set piece has to have like bombs and floods and mass shootings and, you know, um, and I don't think they needed any of that. 
you know they don't um i mean you can have that but that doesn't need to be the conclusion and you know that that shouldn't be the the emotional or cathartic thrust well, of the conclusion and it shouldn't be the motivation for telling a story in the first place right like yeah. like uh like this whole idea of needing to one I mean, up the your dark knight ends with you know a, a coin flip and a, a couple of bullets you know it doesn't exactly end with, yeah you know and the the boats don't even explode you know <laughs> that right the Joker and is set up and when you think about like so. you know the, the equivalent to the flooding in the the stadium and in the dark night that all happens kind of early in the movie you know i would, I would say yeah. uh right before the second act starts or maybe, mm-hmm. maybe around before the like you know um before the whole like joker boat thing right um mm-hmm. Like when you're just kind of starting to figure out where he is, it's almost like the Dark Knight has has a de-escalation of action throughout throughout the film, yeah. you know, starting with these massive set pieces and, you know, um, ending with these really personal moments, um, yeah. which like seems like the wrong way to do it. Right. When you think about it, like as if as if your film is a roller coaster, right. Yeah. You want it to get mo- most exciting at the end. But like the thing is, like. And maybe that's that's the problem with hiring all these uh, theme park executives to be um, producers, yeah, studio execs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, is that they they see everything as as a ride and not a story, right? Yeah, and like they they they, they can like everything that they do revolves around excitement, you know, and and. Yeah that's a very one dimensional way to come at storytelling. And it's not, I'm not saying yeah. that you can't use excitement and you can't use it well in a story, but like stories are meant to provoke like many, many different parts of the human experience, not just uh, your adrenaline. Right. Yeah. And you know, people are getting increasingly desensitized as well. So it's like, you can only keep, keep one upping it, pushing the so dopamine much, yeah. and serotonin button. Yeah. So often yeah. before you have to go back to basics right? and actually be like, Oh yeah, we're telling a story. And how do you do that? <laughs> right. Right. So, and yeah, I'm not sure exactly where this falls kind of like the, um, I say the blame. I want to reiterate this movie is amazing. Like it's, it's yeah, really it's, great. Um, and we love it too, you know, which is I think why we're passionate right now about like how it could have been better. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I think the thing that I think the thing that really drives us right now is just that um, this could have been the movie of a generation. Yeah. Right. Um, this this could have been the next Dark Knight. Yeah. You know, um, like how many how many people did we meet at film school? Who, when you talk to them, they were like, or or not even film school, like even on film sets, yeah. like who are like, yeah, the Dark Knight was my inspiration for becoming a filmmaker. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's you normal know? people too, people that don't even want to be in film. You know, right, everyone knows the Dark Knight. Everyone's seen it a bazillion times. Yeah, so. it's it's so great, and um, and like this this seemed to be the more it seemed to be like it was going to be the edgier, like you know, the, the essentially like if you had crossed uh the dark knight with drive you know yeah <laughs> and, and sure. sicked that on the world uh like that that's what it felt like it was gonna be and then it just it, you know um it just wound up being a really good batman movie um i would yeah. say um right under christopher nolan's trilogy yeah uh i would agree with you yeah i would agree with you so close yeah it's so close 
I mean, we can talk about, I think we've gone over our issue enough, um, probably a little close to wrapping up here, but there's other things I just like to point out some quick little things Yeah, just about the craft of it, particularly the people that are responsible. Cause I like to shout out who's responsible. Uh, cause I think they deserve a shout out. So obviously well, we've talked about, yeah, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Um, and like, like I was saying earlier, sorry, I was, I was trying to get off of it too, but the, yeah. uh, as far as like what we think about the insight, like, you know, whether we agree with it or not, uh, where it ended up in, um, like we think that they did a great job throughout most of the yes. film of getting there. And, um, just because the ending kind of wandered a little bit, it, you know, it doesn't, doesn't take away from everything that they did, you yeah. know? Um, so very good. yeah, as far as the insight goes, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah. But that's that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Matt Reeves, everyone knows Matt Reeves. He's great. Planet, um, of, the Planet of the Apes movies, Cloverfield, Let Me In. Yeah. I believe he's already signed up to do the sequel for this band, nice. which I'm excited for. Um, but I wanted to point out, there's this guy called Greg, uh, Fraser. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. Mm-hmm. who is was a cinematographer. I just want to point this guy out because I thought this is probably the best looking Batman movie, even better looking than Nolan's in my opinion. And uh, this is the same guy who shot Dune. So, and Rogue One, and Zero Dark Thirty, and Let Me In, and Foxcatcher. <laughs> uh, so, that guy deserves a shout out because this is a beautiful 100%. looking, beautiful looking um, Batman film. Uh, and <clears throat> also, the production designer uh, deserves, or set decoration, uh, production design is James uh, Chinlund. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I just want to point that out because as I said, this was the best portrayal of Gotham, the city that we have ever had. Um, so he deserves a shout out too. I think between those two guys who essentially created most of the visuals of what you see, um, they had the most faithful adaptation, of you know, the comics that we've seen when it comes to Batman. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, set, the sets were crazy um <laughs> uh just to go back to the the cinematography really quick though um yeah i i love the way that the shadows uh were used in this film and it, i think it's it's perfect knowing uh, like who batman is and like kind of what this story uh was right especially at the beginning um just the way darkness was used um and how like a lot of sh- um and, and actually to kind of throw it back to um uh uh you know remember when uh, game of thrones season eight came out and uh the long night came out and everyone was really upset they couldn't see what yeah. was going on um i think you know it, it was intentional that you couldn't see what was going on but i think i think that um like I, I've said this before, but I think the the weakness of season eight of Game of Thrones isn't in the story or the acting or anything. I think it all has to do with the treatment, uh, the shots that were chosen, the the you know the edit, uh, the order in which they were shot um, or shown. Um, I, I think that essentially was was its issue, and um, I, I want to contrast that to here, where where like a lot of these shots were also meant to be um very vague in that like you couldn't see what the heck was going on but but it was it was the treatment was kind of like um 
done in a way to where where the audience was on board with not being able to see what was going on yeah right um and i i thought they did a wonderful job at that and i I was i was thinking about how how difficult that actually is and how strange of a of a situation as a cinematographer that is to to have to shoot that to have to shoot nothing and make it make sense in the movie yeah (laughs) you know um you're lighting with darkness as opposed to like yeah and i I think it it has to do with the juxtaposition between the shots of nothing and the shots of something right Mm. like like uh, and i think that was the problem in game of thrones is that you had a lot of these shots of nothing and the juxtaposition was wrong like they didn't really have it like uh contrasting to something that you can see right um like for example, uh, just right off the bat at the beginning, when when you have the guy that's uh, 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 coming out of the convenience store after he had just robbed it, right? Yeah. And and he, like, he's just blasted with light. Like, you know, you're almost blinded by the amount of light there. And then as yeah. because the helicopter is flying above him, and as the helicopter passes o- over, like you see the bat symbol in the sky, and like it, this, it's this stark contrast from light to to dark. Right. And then it's like suddenly he's like left in the dark and you see him like kind of like look over into the darkness and it's just like looking on nothing. Right. Yeah. And it's amazing. Right. Um, Sorry. I just I just wanted to put that out there because like I I think that that's such a um, that's such an interesting thing to think about um, in terms of like what like how do you shoot nothing? How do you shoot darkness? You know? Yeah. Um, and I, I think the answer is that it has to essentially uh, be juxtaposed to something um, that gives it meaning. Yeah. Um, yeah, but- it, it's it's very good. And it almost goes along with uh, what you were saying at the very beginning about there being uh, a lot of uh, noir inspiration for this film, very obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's great, dude. Greg Fraser uh, quickly becoming... Uh, one of the big names for me when it comes to cinematography. Yeah, me too. Especially um, after Dune, like that was shot. Yeah. <laughs> amazingly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what what um, else did he shot? Sorry. It's well, he did. Uh, let's all just read over his big ones. Uh, the Batman Dune rogue one, star Wars vice zero dark 30 Fox catcher killing them softly. Let me in. Those are the big ones I'm going to read off. Uh, let me yeah. in. If people, haven't seen that it's an adaptation of i believe of a swedish film about a young girl who's a vampire but you should see uh well i i guess i shouldn't say it's an adaptation it's a remake and an american mm, remake okay. but you should watch it it's a very beautiful film like visually um very good cool. uh, i assume that's probably the film that kind of made them mm-hmm. um also i want to point out uh colin farrell as the penguin yeah that was crazy <laughs> That was amazing. <laughs> yeah. uh, you can't even tell it was him. He had a great voice. But to go along with what you were saying about how, you know, studio execs and the money essentially can get in the way of filmmaking, you know, um, the Penguin is notorious for smoking in the Batman universe, mm-hmm. right? And I believe he was not allowed uh, to smoke really in this film. I believe there might be a scene where he has a cigar, but... Uh, other than that, he's supposed to just be smoking all the time. And right. he wasn't allowed, and 
very obvious reason why he's not allowed to do that right Mm -hmm. so because it's you know well we have a pg-13 rating and we don't want to upset the parents and this kind of thing yeah um um also can i can i just say um i think this movie i know i know um you disagree with me on this one but i i I think this movie would have benefited greatly from being rated r um i i think kind of having a bit more of a no holds barred kind of uh kind of take i I I think that would have allowed i I was i was kind of i guess what i was hoping was that um the success of something like deadpool would have would have loosened uh producers on making a rated r movie um rated r superhero movie and um i was kind of i was kind of hoping that they would have done that for this because I, i know that they get involved less when it's rated r maybe that's only because like people think rated r movies aren't going to do well so you know um it, they see it as a smaller production therefore they don't have to you know get their hands into it yeah. um whereas like maybe i think yeah, maybe this one like R if they would had, yeah would open up like a lot of really cool possibilities for it but i don't think it's needed um, well I, I guess i guess what i was saying was i i might be wrong just because like you know, it still would have been a huge movie for them um, regardless. So if it was, even if it was rated R, maybe they still would have had the same amount of input um, mm. um, because, because I guess what I associate rated R with is, is the producers kind of taking a bit more of a hands-off approach. Um, That's true. Which, which I I thought was kind of needed for this. Like it was such, a, it felt like it was going to be such a heady movie that like, um, that it seemed like uh, Matt Reeves really could have benefited from not having yeah. like interference, but I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's all Matt Reeves' fault. <laughs> well, you know? you know, along along those lines of thinking about how you could do Batman and the things maybe that it would be interesting to do, like have it be R and this kind of thing. Along those same, a little different, but along those same lines of thinking. After I watched this, I was struck by something kind of obvious, right? Mm-hmm. So everyone knows Marvel has been kicking ass. They've created this hugely popular cinematic universe. And they kind of had this main storyline, which they concluded. And now they're kind of doing this thing where they're being obsessed with the multiverse, which is insanely smart of them just from like a production money standpoint because they can tell any story they want to tell now Mm -hmm. uh with whoever and it all makes sense right (laughs) and they don't have to have all these big name actors signed on the same contracts and the same production schedule anymore yeah right and i was just thinking dc has essentially failed they've essentially failed at doing this they've they tried to mimic marvel and they tried to and they tried to do it so fast. They tried to get a Justice League movie made so fast. Yeah. And they had Batman. And then they had Man of Steel. And then they had Batman v Superman. And then they did Aquaman. And I hear they're doing the Flash. And they're still trying, but they, you know, they fired Zack Snyder and then Joss Whedon screwed it. And then they had rehired him to sort of rectify it a <laughs> year or two later. Yeah. And it's just kind of been and when it, when it's all said and done, I believe Aquaman has had some success at the theaters, but like Superman, mm. Man of Steel has not been as successful as I think they wanted it to. And I think Batman v Superman was not anywhere near successful as they wanted to be financially, you know? Yeah. I think the obvious thing to do, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, but my gut tells me 
screw all the other DC superheroes. What we need is a Batman cinematic universe. We need a Batman movie, a Batman trilogy, and we need a Batgirl movie and a Robin movie and a Nightwing movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And we need a, a Green Arrow movie and a Huntress movie. That's just, what we just need. Go really hard we need into to, the Batman stuff. Yeah, I yeah. think that would be very popular as opposed to you know betting on whether or not people want to watch a, a green lantern or a flash movie which i want to watch them but i feel like people would more people would go see a batgirl movie or a nightwing movie yeah totally. well, you uh, know, or a I red think, mask movie i think the thing is um and like a lot of people kind of lose sight of this uh, especially with a uh, kind of this whole uh obsession with how powerful superheroes are in these like arguments online of like who would win and you know yeah like you you get you get like who are supposed to be kind of like the main heroes, right? And like in the DC universe and in this comic book universe, uh, obviously you have Superman, but I think when it comes down to it, Superman's kind of a boring hero to watch, you know? Yeah. And it's because he's too powerful. And, and like from a storytelling perspective, you, you lose the ability to say anything meaningful about the human condition. Yeah. Right, because that like, means the exact opposite. <laughs> right, right, and so. and like when you have something like Superman, um, like I, I personally loved Man of Steel. I just thought they they didn't advertise it the right way. Um, no. Like I, I thought it would have been really interesting to advertise Superman as a alien invasion movie, uh, or Man of Steel as an alien invasion movie, and then like just kind of surprise people with the fact that it's Superman. Um, yeah. Which, you know, would never work with today's theater contracts. But um, I, I think something like that would have would have really excited uh, people just because, you know, then then it becomes about humans reconciling with something that's that's uh, uh, so beyond human. Right. Yeah. Um, and that would have been interesting. But but to, to kind of bring it back to what I was talking about, um, I, I think when you have a movie about like Superman's morality or whatever, right? Like, yeah, most people wouldn't kill people if they were bulletproof, right? If you had the yeah. choice of like, you know, of, of a gunfight not being dangerous for you whatsoever, it would be extremely yeah. easy to make the moral choice not to kill people. Yeah. Right. Well, that goes back and, to even what I'm saying is a part of what makes uh, something heroic is the sacrifice intended to get to the greater good. So almost right. almost doing low level evils in the service of the greater good is the thing that makes something moral. So if you don't even, you know, you're so powerful where you don't even need to do things that would be conventionally considered evil. Are you even acting morally? That's exactly. kind of like part of my, yeah. <laughs> right. And, and I think so. that something like that would make a good Superman movie. But like, I think, I think like no one's ever going to do it right because you piss yeah. off all the superman fans um yeah but really uh i think that's why things like batman are so much more interesting and i think why marvel on the whole is actually more interesting is because because you don't have superman and wonder woman and green lantern and green and all lantern in in marvel right <laughs> yeah. um like when, when you have people that become like I, I look at like uh phoenix in marvel like when you have people that become that powerful they fucking go crazy. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they lose their, they lose their marbles. Uh, they, they start, um, how should I say Like humans start looking like ants to them, which they yeah. would. Right. And I think 
Um, I, I think that's a lot more interesting. And like, I think generally Marvel tends to be more interesting, but also Batman is super interesting as a solo universe. Yeah. You know, and well, like, that's what I'm saying. They should just make Batman their cinematic universe. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah, they should. Um, it, it would be a lot more interesting and like having, uh, having a Marvel esque universe that surrounded it too, with all these movies that were more gritty and stuff like that would be really interesting. Yeah. Um, but that's that's my long winded explanation as to why I think you're totally right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thank um, you. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> ah, feels good. Uh, <laughs> well, I uh, I don't know. I think uh, I've said everything I need to say about the Batman. You got anything more? Uh, no, I'm good to end it there. Okay. All right. Well, um, we don't know exactly what we're gonna do next, but we keep telling you guys that we're probably gonna do Spider Man at some point um the new one so yep. just keep that in mind watch it at some point um and we'll see you next time bye bye yeah i mean you know like greg frazier who i i you know we did let me in together and i've been wanting to work with him ever since and we had our schedules just didn't align and then on this film it finally did again and i i was really thrilled because i love him and his you know, he had, uh, you know, through Rogue One and The Mandalorian started using that volume. And we started saying, you know, he'd used it for a very, very different kind of landscape. You know, the idea of like when you're on the, the planetscape and you're out in a kind of desert vista or that kind of thing. And so we started talking about the idea, well, gee, could we do something? We talked to ILM. Could we, with our amazing production designer, James Chinlin, design our own Gotham and then in certain environments, bring that and have it around our actors so that we could not only have it there for the actors, but it would be the source of the light. I mean, one of the things in these movies that always happens when you're doing these kind of sort of blockbusters is there's almost always that moment where you're doing the blue screen scene and trying to get that light so that it comes off of that space that doesn't yet exist in such a way that you believe that what you're seeing in the foreground is connected to what you're seeing in the distance. That's a really challenging thing and it almost always sort of stands out and Greg and I talked about how much we hated that and how hard it is to try and do that. So what on this one we were able to do is um, James was able to design with ILM a very extensive Gotham and the scenes that we used it in, we used, there's, um, I saw a, a version of like where that bat signal would be sort of living as, cause you know, Gordon is now the only one who trusts Batman at this point. It's not, he's not commissioner Gordon, he's Lieutenant Gordon. And so if he, he's the one who comes up with this idea, but it isn't even on top of the GCPD. I thought, well, what if we do this on an abandoned skyscraper? That's part of the renewal program that was never finished. Mm -hmm. And they just keep meeting really like Woodward and Bernstein and in, in, in meeting or like meeting deep throat in all the president's men. They meet to discuss this crazy conspiracy in this abandoned unfinished skyscraper. And so that meant we could have the city that they were talking about all around them. And then later, Batman meets Selina there at sunset. And if I had to shoot that scene at sunset, we never could have done it because we basically are able to keep the sun where it needed to be in the sky throughout the course of the three days that it took to shoot that scene. So working in the volume was thrilling. It, it, you had to adjust to it because it's like you had it around you and how you set up shots. Like the great thing about it was you weren't setting up going like, okay, well, gee, I wonder how they'll be in relation to the buildings behind them because they're there. And then the actors, you have this feeling you sent, you know, you spend hours there and you feel like you're there. And so it was, it took time to get adjusted to, but it was very special. And I think it oh. really, um, I think it adds a lot 
visually yeah. to the film. We didn't use it in the Batmobile chase because you couldn't really take a a, a Batmobile and like move it through um, a volume. We did use some of the panels in some of the places when you had to do some driving shots, but we also did a lot of stuff practically in that scene. Like there's a scene where you see the truck falling over and it's in the trailer, it blows up and Colin goes like, I got you, that whole thing. That's Colin actually in the actual car and we're on what's called a 50-50. We take the camera, mount it on the side and those explosions are actually going off behind him and he's reacting to them so that so much of what you're seeing in that in that thing is super, super grounded and real because we did it for real. We actually did jump the Batmobile through the fire. Like that shot's real. That's not a CG shot. That's one of those things I'm always assuming that people will see it and they're gonna go like, oh, you know what? That that's just a CG shot. Cool, whatever. But that shot, when you're looking in his in the Maserati in that in that sort of side mirror and a Batmobile is coming through flames, we did that. <laughs> 